0: Hello and welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast, I'm your host Jacob Granger. Each week we bring you the most interesting conversations from around the media industry. Today we bring you another of our fascinating talks from our digital journalism conference News Rewired and our focus shifts to how we can bridge the worlds of academia and journalism. The Truth is, these industries often rely on each other. Journalists need academics to help them look for solutions to so many problems in the media industry like sustainability, diversity or trust. But in return, the scholars need newsrooms to open up about their work and give them access to data if they are to produce meaningful research. But all of that does not mean this working relationship is always smooth. In fact, it's become rather transactional, So in light of that, the question of today is precisely how journalists and academics can enjoy a better working relationship. Here to shed light on that is Valérie Belair-Gagnon, co-author of the book Journalism Research That Matters, and also a journalism professor in the United States. We'll also hear from chris waiting ceo of the conversation a uk news publication with stories sourced from the academic community as well as nick newman senior research associate at the reuters institute for the study of journalism before we jump in i always love to hear from you so please send your thoughts on the show to jacob at journalism.co.uk all of that's coming up after a quick word from today's sponsor <laughs> This journalism.co.uk podcast is supported by Memberful, which is the easiest way to sell memberships to your audience. You can monetize your fantastic newsletters through Memberful with no need to connect to a third-party email provider. Try it for free on memberful.com, where you can also take up pro and premium plans to really start cranking up and customizing your membership offering. We
1: try to answer the question of, why journalism research matters and how we can better connect with uh, professional communities.
0: That's Valerie Belair-Gagnon, Assistant Professor at the Hubbard School of Journalism and Mass Communication, Director of the Minnesota Journalism Center and affiliated faculty in the Department of Sociology at the University of Minnesota. She also wrote a book this year with Dr. Nikki Usher called Journalism Research That Matters, and it grappled with the frustration from both sides. Who does what and how research can best contribute to conversations within journalism.
1: You know, this is a conversation that has been happening for for many years. Outside of journalism, scholars have also tried to connect research with practice, to inform practice, to influence the way that organisations operate or even set public policies. But often, the problem with that is that these approaches live outside of the boundaries of traditional academic scholarship. So what that means is that universities don't necessarily recognize these efforts as part of a formal tenure and promotion requirements. So that's changing. Universities are increasingly uh, recognizing the importance of public engagement just here at the University of Minnesota, we actually now have a public engagement hub in the physical space in the middle of the the university.
0: And so really, when journalists approach academics for quotes and interviews, they're generally happy to oblige because ultimately, what good is research if it has no impact in the real world? And as there is growing appreciation of the value of public engagement, academics are more willing to step into the public domain to talk about their work. What Valerie looked at next are the threats to these partnerships between journalism and academia, and one central tension is around language. And few are better placed to talk about this than Chris Waiting, the CEO of The Conversation. The Conversation is actually a registered charity in the UK. It's a news website which writes about anything from COVID-19, to arts and culture, to education, politics, technology, journalism, and the list goes on. While it has a newsroom of journalists, their job, actually, is to find, edit and publish stories written by academics. Yes, the bylines all belong to academics, and that can take a significant period of adjustment to get right.
2: That's why we have the newsroom full of, of journalists, because often the first draft that any academic submits will be full of long run-on sentences, technical okay. jargon and so on, because academics are trained to write for journals they are used to communicating with their peers who are experts in the in the particular niche in which they work and of course if you want to reach a larger audience which is essential if you want your research to have impact you need to speak in, in language in a form and indeed on a platform that is accessible to a much wider audience
0: Someone else who has seen it from both sides is Nick Newman, with around two decades of experience with the BBC in different roles, from heading up product and technology to major editorial roles on the BBC News website and BBC World Service. But he's also spent about 15 years of his career in academia, first as a Senior Research Fellow at City University of London, and much longer as Senior Research Associate at the Reuters Institute for the Study of Journalism. Many of you will know him as the lead author of the widely respected Reuters Digital News Report, which comes out every year. And just about every journalism university student will have cited it at some stage of their studies. From his perspective, the two worlds are not just different in culture, but also in their
3: competing objectives. It's very much about different objectives and expectations. So, uh, you know, and the funding, of course, follows those as well. And, and that's you know why we see quite often this gap between what journalists may think academics should be doing, what academics think they should be doing. So they're, they're often quite different things. So there's expectations, funding, definitely language as well. And Chris has described you know, some of the difficulties that many academics have being used to writing for journals, then going out and trying to make this research accessible. In many cases, also, the research is not accessible. It's behind paywalls. But I mean, one of the things that we're trying to do within uh, the Reuters Institute is be that bridge between academia and, and journalism. And that has many different uh, aspects to it. It's partly about the way in which we communicate. So, for example, with something like the Digital News Report, we kind of write it quite journalistically. We do Twitter threads. We do videos. You know, we basically think like a media company in terms of who our audience is, how we're trying to get that message out. And I think you have to do that. You know, journalists are not a monolithic group of people. Um, You know, there's certain groups of people you want to reach around strategy, for example, around business models. There are other people in media companies you want to reach who are really dealing with the nuts and bolts of what you should commission and when you should commission it. Audience engagement teams. They're all very different, just as academics are different, actually, and have different interests.
0: The missing link in all of this are people who understand both worlds, a hybrid person of sorts. That could be someone in the newsroom who understands the bigger picture and why researchers need the access they're asking for, or people at research institutes who can help to summarise their findings into cleaner journalistic copy and soundbites. In Valerie's book, Matt Weber at Rutgers University in New Jersey talks about the importance of people who can act as these translators.
1: Maybe you need in the newsroom those people who are translating that kind of information between journalism and practice. But there are other places where you can, we can find these hybrid spaces and leaders that can translate journalism research and practice. Uh, one example is uh, one of our most prestigious journal in our field, Journalism Practice, has just launched a podcast. And one of their uh, associate editor, who's a former journalist, is now uh, leading that podcast. Uh, we've also had hybrid uh, spaces where uh, conferences that, well, here's one, use Rewired, is allowing us to have this conversation today. But, you know, I can think of others like the International Journalism Festival in Perugia, or the Association for Education in Journalism and Mass Communication in the U.S., where academics have been invited and practitioners have also been invited to be able to have these conversations and have the time in those spaces to have conversation about and how to better connect it with practice. Nick
0: Newman says that these empathetic values are powerful in media companies and there is a premium placed on people who can work in that space. And he shares one example with us. Claire Wardle now leads strategy and research at the fact-checking organisation First Draft. But before that, she came to the BBC from Cardiff University to do some research on user-generated content and social media. And that has since been the springboard to her distinguished career. So it goes to show the value and need for newsrooms to open themselves up and the power of people who can operate in both worlds.
3: She worked within the BBC to really engage people in what social media was about and went out from the BBC, took all that knowledge of industry out into an organisation like First Draft. And you can see the kind of impact that individuals like Claire have made. But I think also Valerie was making the point about the uh, International Journalism Festival in Perugia. It's a great example you know, of finding occasions where you can just mix different disciplines and you get all kinds of really rich insights and uh, and new possibilities from doing that, and uh, Perugia has one great conference um, actually oddly, sort of Google have done an amazing job with their news guys festivals of bringing people together from you know innovators industry, product people, editorial people who wouldn't normally talk to each other in their own organizations and academics and bring them together. And part of the reason that doesn't happen is because of what Valerie talked about right at the beginning, the funding models. You know, you've got to have different funding models to enable those kind of and fund those kind of get togethers and and uh, and contacts.
0: And one example of what Nick is talking about is the Hacks Hackers community, which holds a monthly meetup in London for journalists and technologists, and that's funded by the Google News Initiative. These are two worlds that often don't mix, but here they can. It follows a trend in the higher education sector where there is a greater need to collaborate and show impact. And one of the tensions we haven't quite got stuck into yet is that these priorities do not always line up with the priorities of commercial news organisations. Here we go back to Chris.
2: University research is something you do for research's sake. You shouldn't be doing it because it, it has a commercial output, or because it's telling a particular story. That you follow a line of inquiry wherever it wherever it takes you. There has been a major culture shift across the HE sector over the last twenty years, with the rise of impact and assessments into research, uh, knowledge exchange, and so on. With universities and the academics that work within them being asked to demonstrate that their work has had an impact that it has changed policies that it's changed the way that companies operate obviously that includes journalism organizations so there's always a little bit of that tension this is one of the places that the timing and the time scales that academics and journalists working on are quite quite different that Journalists may be looking to publish something in the next 24 hours. Academics may be working on a two, three year timescale between publications potentially. And so one of the reasons I think that they don't always talk the same language is understanding that that publication point may be considerably further in the distance.
0: And Nick Newman builds on this point.
2: Many academics
3: would not see their job as trying to solve the problems of a largely for-profit industry that arguably has made historic mistakes and lost a lot of trust with a lot of people over the last decade or so. And, you know, they value the independence. They value independent thought. As Valerie was saying, you know, it's incredibly important to just ask questions sometimes and do what we call exploratory research. We've been thinking a bit here about, you have the concept of fast journalism and slow journalism. And I think maybe we should we should have a concept like sort of fast academic research and slow academic research. There's some stuff which needs to go peer reviewed and, you know, take a year, a couple of years, five years even to, you know, to be published and peer reviewed. But there's other stuff, you know, that that we think about, you know, let's reuse some digital news report data on TikTok and we'll do a few interviews about how people are using it and getting it out now because that's actually useful and actionable. And so I think, you know, that's why, you know, research organisations like our own are trying to do these short accessible fact sheets in addition to the sort of longer reports that we do. So I think that, you know, I think thinking about it in that way would definitely be helpful.
0: Another issue that we haven't spoken about yet is that research has the potential at least to criticise news organisations or make them look bad if they're reporting, for example, lacking diversity figures or low circulation numbers. And this presents a problem for researchers because, as Valerie explains in this next part, sometimes doing that has repercussions on future access to the newsroom. This shows that empathy is not a silver bullet.
1: I think that sometimes even if you go with empathy and you try to show your results, which uh, one of our colleagues in her book talked about, Danielle Brown, um, she did a content analysis of racialized content in news. Um, it's very common in the American newsroom now that they're doing audits, looking at words like race or people of color. But it's not the same as an academic using framing analysis to, to look at how, how race is represented in the news. Actually, it was published in the conversation. Um, and she came back to the news organization with her results, and afterwards was burned from that news organization not being able to have access afterwards because they didn't want to recognize the results. Empathy can go um, a long way, but sometimes uh, some in some contexts, it's just difficult to have this conversation. As of today, she wasn't able to repair that relationship with that local news organization. Um, there are other examples where I have students from different regions of the world who are talking to me about the difficulty in gaining access because of censorship and fear of sharing information with researcher, especially young researcher who may not have the same gravitas as some uh, older season one. Uh, so here we're entering a problem of power and knowledge where uh, people who may end up having access to newsroom may be people who actually are more elite and are maybe uh, therefore encouraging a superstar system <laughs> or or what, what looks like a superstar system in the context of academia. Uh, that uh, is really problematic because uh, as a result, we're not able to paint a bigger picture of the problems and the solution that we can bring to journalism.
0: Again, Nick Newman provides another great perspective on this through the Digital News Report, which can bring mixed fortunes for those mentioned in the report. It can make some news organizations look like great innovators and others like they're trailing behind the crop. To no surprise, you can expect the former to share far and wide. And the latter to ignore it entirely
3: this is part of the problem with reporting generally is Mm. that many news organizations have a clear narrative and if your data fits into that narrative they'll publish it and if it doesn't they won't Uh, and so it's not whether the research is good or bad they'll also often take bad research and and talk about that because it suits the narrative or they'll ignore bad research because it's not very good or relevant so i mean there's a lot of things going on there in terms of the reporting But I think um, what I've found is there's a difference between the reporting and how open the the organisation is to listen and learn about some of these deeper insights. And so we have conversations at very many levels. You know, quite often it's not really the reporting level, it's getting to the boardroom level and having proper discussions about strategy and how our data can help, help that. And I think what we found is they're incredibly open. And, you know, when it's not being public, they're really interested to find out about our insights and to listen. So for me, it's all about building those relationships at different levels and understanding you know who you're trying to reach with different kinds of research
0: journalism and academia have more in common here than you might think but they're also quite far apart in other respects Chris explains more
2: both the news industry and academia are industries sectors that have a tendency to say we are special we're different the normal rules don't apply to us and there are places where that is true But at the same time, they are also subject to a lot of the wider market forces. They have a lot of the same challenges um, that I've seen across the whole economy. But actually, they also have things in common, whether it is about representation and sort of duty of care about staff. And uh, one of the interesting things, I think, that where there is a difference is around trust. That over the last uh, 10, 20 years, Nick was talking about... some of the problems the mistakes that the news industry has made has led to this declining trust in journalism we 've seen even greater fall in trust in in politicians and currently people still trust academics now that is going to be, uh, partly be because they don 't see them quite as often. but I think that is one of the areas that uh, journalists would benefit from of being able to borrow a little bit of the the credibility the trust the expertise that you find within universities.
0: One thing Nick has brought up a few times is how academia is funded, and this is a tension amongst journalists. The Reuters Digital News report, however, is widely revered, despite a long list of sponsors and supporters, ranging from the BBC, Ofcom and the Google News Initiative, to name just a few. So Nick tells us more on how they maintain their independence and why this matters.
3: The sort of incentives are not there to fund applied research. And Facebook, Google, the Gates Foundation, all kinds of people have moved in. Foundations in in America in particular have moved in to fund specifically that gap in applied research. And I think there's two things. One is you need to be incredibly transparent about your funding. Um, Secondly, you need to be as diverse as you can. So, for example, we take money for Google for the digital news report, but we take money from 14 other organizations as well. And we maintain editorial independence from that. And the track record of producing uh, content that is often embarrassing for our different sponsors is easier when you have... 14 or 15 sponsors rather than one single sponsor. And obviously, you don't want a study on Facebook funded by Facebook. Just as you know, um, this is why much industry research doesn't have as much credibility, because if the BBC puts something out that says people love public service media, even if it's brilliantly independently uh, accurate, people won't believe it because of the sourcing. So our credibility comes from our independence. It comes from our transparency, and it comes from the track record of proving that over time by by not showing fear and favour.
0: So I think we've arrived at a position where we can see these two like-minded industries have competing interests, but with a bit of work on either side, it can be a harmonious and beneficial relationship if we can bridge the gap. Our panellists Nick, Valerie and Chris share their best tips that you can apply
3: today. The relationship between journalism and academia has often been quite extractive. So it's either, you know, come come to an academic for a quote... That fits your narrative on the one hand or on on the other hand, you know we need access to your newsroom so we can basically deliver our research and I can get my tenure at a, at a university so it's quite extractive it 's not really aligned objectives and want a partnership and what I would like to see more of is partnerships, and to do that you know you 've got to align objectives between those people on the academic side who are funded for and really interested in doing that sort of applied work and people on the journalistic side who have more time to reflect and engage. And that would be people like audience engagement teams, product teams, you know, it depends. It will be different teams in different areas. So I think understanding each other and making the right, building the right relationships over time, I think is really the key.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with everything Nick said, <laughs> but I, I, I will also add that it's important to create these different spaces where it's an ongoing conversation, whether it's conferences, research center, the conversation. Uh, sometimes it's okay for an academic to go in the fieldwork and leave the fieldwork, uh, but also a tip it would be that it would be good to have more conversation in those spaces about a literacy uh, between each other, not just in terms of topics, but also in terms of types of research that is published, Uh, whether it's what's the difference between a white paper and the goal of a book, for example.
2: The relationship often has been quite extractive, quite transactional. And I think that where journalists and academics work best together it's almost like the relationship you might cultivate with the source over a long period of time understanding their research understanding the peaks and the troughs when it's likely to reach conclusions when it's likely to publish and so having those longer term deeper relationships helps the journalist understand the research understand the nuance and also helps the academic understand the journalistic demand you know where where is the lead in all of this how how might it be packaged how might they be able to influence the audiences that they want to reach you know, take something like climate building a long term relationship between a climate researcher and a journalist with an interest in that space is probably the most effective way of doing all of that
0: Really great panel discussion there and thanks to our three expert guests for joining us at News Rewind for that talk. My takeaway today very much is that people who understand both worlds are a commodity, to understand the strains and limits of the other field, and why it's important to work through the niggles and stresses. For newsrooms, academics are vital for fostering industry best practices, and giving access is a vital part of that process. For academics, journalists are just as time poor as their audiences, and they rely on your expertise to simplify difficult, and often public interest topics to the world. If you like what you heard today, you can find more of our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. But that's all we have time for today. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.